Simply stated, I'm really fascinated with the fact that the sun provides a tremendous amount of energy uh, in the world we live in. And plants have found a way to harness sunlight and convert it to usable forms of energy in this process known as photosynthesis. That's Jared Paul. He's an associate professor of chemistry at Villanova University. Much of his research focuses on electron transfer reactions. In other words, he's interested in understanding what's happening at the chemical level in everyday natural processes. The photosynthetic process seems to be this, this you know, beautiful natural process to take water, uh, remove the electrons and protons, and make fuels. Uh, so looking to nature and what they're able to do and then trying to find ways that we can do that in the, in the laboratory can solve a lot of the massive challenges we have today. This is Research That Resonates a podcast from Villanova University's College of Liberal Arts and Sciences that takes you inside the labs and classrooms to learn from our distinguished faculty and students. I'm your host, Chelsea Girard. In our first mini-series, we're talking about sustainability. Villanova researchers are looking into some of the most pertinent issues affecting our planet today, including renewable energy, rising sea levels, and climate change. I met up with the folks in the Paul Lab to learn more about what impact their research could have on developing alternative fuel sources. So my name is Jared Paul. I'm an associate professor at Villanova University in the Department of Chemistry. My name's Diane Isaacs. I'm a second year grad student in the master's program at the chemistry department here at Villanova. My name's Claire Tian, and I'm a senior at Villanova University in the Department of Chemistry. Dr. Paul and his students are specifically looking at solar energy as a fuel source, which he explains is happening in nature all the time through photosynthesis. Photosynthesis is the process where plants take energy that's uh, emitted from the sun and convert it to a usable, storable form of energy such as sugars, carbohydrates. The way they do that is what's called reducing carbon dioxide. So in order to reduce carbon dioxide, you need electrons and protons uh, to, to combine into carbon dioxide to make a sugar uh, and to, to make these uh, storable energy forms. Uh, so what photosynthesis has basically evolved to do is take those electrons and protons from water, remove the electrons and protons from it, and give off clean oxygen. That process is otherwise known as water oxidation. Uh, our research is really interested in this process of taking the electrons and protons out of water to do useful chemistry. Uh, and this is a very complicated process. It requires a lot of energy. Um, there's, there's a lot of byproducts along the way. Uh, so it's not a simple process. Uh, and, and we're really interested in how do, you know, how do we do that efficiently. The first step is to select a metal catalyst. The Paul Lab uses ruthenium because it's easy to study and has proved to bind well with water and absorb light in the visible range. But what exactly is a catalyst? Basically, the, a metal catalyst uh, is, is kind of your transient source of electrons and protons. So basically, the, the, the concept behind the catalyst is the catalyst, you can remove electrons from it, and it becomes electron deficient. It wants electrons now. So if water can come up to it, give its electrons back to the catalyst, Right, and make oxygen, now that catalyst is an electron source which can then give them off again 
right? So you want to basically be able to, and that process is known as oxidation and reduction. So you want a catalyst that can get rid of, lose its electrons readily, that's being oxidized, but then also be readily re-reduced. So gain those electrons back. So it's kind of this transient source that funnels off electrons and takes new electrons in. And, and I think of it as kind of the central point uh, in the water oxidation process and, and the idea of coupling it ultimately um, to making these storable fuel sources. And the thing about the catalyst is there's a bunch of different things on it. And if you can modify that, you can modify it in a way that can help you inc better oxidize that water so you require even less um, energy. And you were just trying to find the way to make the most efficient catalyst possible. That's Diane again. And one of the ways she says they're striving for efficiency is by experimenting with ligands, which is a molecule that they bind to the ruthenium. The ligand is what's actually attached to the ruthenium, so it's part of the catalyst. Okay. And the ligand is what you will modify to hopefully increase water oxidation to help you lower that barrier so you can make everything happen. Coming on the, I'll, a little bit on the ligands real quick. So, um, so ligands are basically a scaffold that you can attach to ruthenium to give it some unique properties to help with things like the electron transfer process or moving protons around. Uh, so that's where our whole lab designs new ligands and thinks about new ways and we collaborate with a lot of people who also send us ligands to try to make systems that make that ruthenium more efficient to do what we want it to do. So our chemistry is one of our ligands, um, we have the ability to dynamically change them. Uh, and what I mean by that is we can, through relatively simple changes uh, in the environment, say changing a pH, adding an acid or a base, we change the structure of our ligand. And that ligand, changing the structure of it, is going to influence the properties of the metal, uh, which, which might increase the ability to oxidize water or might decrease the ability to oxidize water. So our, our grand thought is uh, if we can find relatively simple ways to change the environment, we might be able to turn a catalyst on and off. And so basically creating an on-off switch for catalysis where when you want to do the process, you you know, activate it, and at some point, like a light switch, you flip it off and you, you stop uh, doing that catalytic process. So um, that's something that we're really interested in, and that's kind of our unique uh, or semi-unique area that we're, we're trying to kind of uh, move into. While Diane focuses on efficiency of the ligand, Claire is researching how they might be able to make the ruthenium a more efficient catalyst. My project is a little different from Diane's in that I'm looking at bimetallic complexes, so there's actually two ruthenium metal centers as opposed to just one. Um, and the reason why I'm interested in doing this is we think it can help with the stability of the compound because water oxidation requires that we reach a high oxidation state. And so the idea is that if we have two metal centers, we can kind of like share that oxidation state and alleviate some of the strain on the compound and the catalyst as a whole. What's high oxidation versus low oxidation? I guess it all has to do with like adding and removing electrons from a compound. So when you remove an electron from a compound, you increase your oxidation state. So when you re remove one electron, you're at a, like a plus one oxidation state. But for water oxidation, you need like plus four, or plus five. So that's really high and that can affect the stability of a compound. So 
the idea is that if we have two metal centers, it won't be quite as difficult to get to such a high oxidation state. So can you describe your interest in this area of study mm -hmm. and how you've seen this area mm -hmm. of research evolve? When people ask me about my research, I find it can be complicated to explain, but then I, in looking back through everyone's different levels, I've realized that like you can explain this research to really anyone just at a different level. So I think like when I was in like elementary school and you, I mean, you learn that, you know, fossil fuels are bad and like renewable energy. And then as I was in middle school, I could specifically look at like, there's different types of renewable energy. There's water energy. Water could be a renewable source of energy, the sun, the wind. And then when you get to high school, you understand that, you know, there's a lot of science behind this and you start to learn the specifics. And I can remember learning about like solar panels. And, and so now just the renewable energy I learned about when I was like in elementary school and middle school, it's now, I'm still looking at renewable energy now in my inorganic research lab. It's just on a much more specific and more scientific level. So now I'm looking specifically at water oxidation and catalysts for that process so that we can make solar energy more efficient and therefore like make renewable energy a more realistic option. I asked Diane the same question. Why is she interested in water oxidation? That's a very good question. I feel like this is all part of a bigger thing that you can couple it with something else. And then so you can use this as a reusable fuel. So maybe we're not exactly at the part where we're harvesting the sunlight, but if we can find some way to couple that with this, then we have a source where we can now store that solar energy rather than just have the solar energy while the sun's shining. What about all those times when the sun's not shining at night or during the day if it's cloudy and just trying to be able to find a way to get rid of those fossil fuels the best we can. If we're able to create a catalyst that successfully and efficiently moves the electrons and protons so that we can create energy, how is the light no longer an issue? So the way to think about it again is when the sun's shining, you can be generating electrons and protons and they could be moving around and basically generating, or well, they could just be moving electrons around. Right? That's how conventional solar cells work. Light shines, moves electrons around a circuit and you're getting power. When the light stops shining, however, you stop moving electrons around. So what you need to do is have a way of basically an electron source uh, for, for the night when, when the sun's no longer shining. So conventionally, you know, we buy that from the power companies, whether it be through nuclear power or, um, you know, burning different fuel sources uh, and oil, heating, natural gas, et cetera, et cetera, because um, that works 24-7. So the idea is if we can do take those electrons and protons through something like water and put them in a storable fuel that we can burn at a later time when the sun's not shining we can have energy throughout uh, time uh, and the I you know now there's a lot of questions as to what that storable fuel is you could imagine um, if you take simple protons and put electrons into it you get hydrogen which is a terrific fuel source. Um, you can imagine if you can develop a catalyst that takes carbon dioxide and you put electrons and protons into it, you could make sugars, you could make methane, you could make methanol. Uh, so there's s chemists, scientists uh, around the world that are working on all these different processes, 
they're very, very complicated. Uh, we've chosen to focus on one area in particular, and that's the water oxidation process. The beauty of water is if you could find a way to remove the electrons and protons from water and do useful chemistry, the only byproduct is oxygen, right, which is a clean, basically clean. So what's next for the research? Um, and can you just paint me a picture of where you guys are and where you'd love to see yourselves go? I, I can start. I, yeah, I'll start and then you can add. But um, I guess an exciting development in our lab is we now have an oxygen probe that allows us to measure whether or not we're, we're making oxygen, which is something we haven't had before. So in the event that you, like, you do make a catalyst, we couldn't study the oxygen, the creation of oxygen, I guess. So now this is like a new, new piece to our toolbox um, that Diane has been looking a lot into and figuring out how it works. So now once we make compounds that have a site for water to bond and that are potential catalysts, we can actually see how good they are at doing their job or how, how much oxygen they can realistically make. Yeah, so like Claire was saying, we have the oxygen probe, so now we can measure oxygen evolution, and I've been playing around with that, trying to figure it out, and now we've got it figured out, we're going to use what we're calling as a control to make sure that our system's actually working, and we can compare it to other papers, because people have made this before and show that our numbers are similar to them, our setup is valid, and from that we can go and... Um, go and test our own catalysts. One of the other members of our lab is going to be making some um, interesting ligands that we haven't had before and from what we can tell from the literature no one else has used before that we're really interested in testing their catalytic ability of to see if that would provide an even higher catalytic ability. Developing alternative fuel sources is truly an interdisciplinary undertaking. Before we can harvest the sun's energy, we have to understand the chemistry behind it. And that's where chemists like Dr. Paul, Diane, and Claire come in. Their research is an integral part to developing sustainable solutions. It's inspiring work. But Dr. Paul says his real inspiration is his students. My big goal here has been to work with undergraduate students and master's students and train them and train them in cutting edge areas of chemistry. Villanova provides us a real wonderful opportunity uh, to do that here, uh, to do rel real relevant chemistry uh, and while we're training students. And I, I always joke that my goal is not to win a Nobel Prize someday, but it's to train the next Nobel Prize winner uh, in you know, inorganic chemistry or, or chemistry in general, whatever field they, they choose. Um, so my real inspiration has been to get students involved in research, uh, to get them doing real-world important chemistry, tackling significant issues, uh, and, and using that for their own growth so they can go on and do uh, you know, wonderful things and, and really benefit our future. Thanks for listening to Research That Resonates. Check out all our episodes on sustainability as part of our first themed miniseries.